Chapter Eleven of House, Garden, and Field by L. C. Meal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Glowworm. Many of us dwell with peculiar pleasure on our recollections of the glowworm. Like the song of the nightingale, it is not only a delight in itself, but has the magical power of bringing back the time when we were young and the whole earth was gay. The mere mention of the glowworm recalls some refulgent summer, 1887 or even 1868 when the evening skies were obscured by no clouds for many weeks together. We remember the soft greenish lights among the mowing grass or on the sandy banks beneath pine trees. A few of us know the pleasure of tracing the lights to their source and of discovering the luminous insect mounted on a tall grass holm or a leafy spray. Those of us who dwell in cities where glowworms are rare find no doubt more pleasure and excitement in the spectacle than those who see them summer after summer, but we are ill-placed for inquiring into the causes and circumstances of the glow. If I were a leisured man and lived in the country, I would make this a very special hobby, and associate myself with the naturalists who are endeavoring to elucidate interesting questions about the glowworm by another light than its own, I mean the lamp of science. Let me now put an answer, as well as present knowledge permits, three questions about the glowworm. Question 1. What is the worm that glows? It is a female beetle, about half an inch long, and peculiar in having the wings and wing covers totally deficient, so that it resembles a larva. The body is long, narrow, and flattened, the legs are short, the head is retractile, being withdrawn upon occasion into the forepart of the thorax. The eyes are small, and the jaws are those of a predatory insect. It is probable that the adult insect feeds little. Indeed, there is reason to believe that the adult male does not feed at all. Some naturalists have found the female feeding on plants, but fuller evidence is still to be desired. The larva, on the other hand, is carnivorous and devours small mollusks, either dead or alive. The glowworm keeps close by day, but shows herself by night, often climbing up stalks or the branches of shrubs, in order that her light may be as little obstructed as possible. Question 2. How is the light of the glowworm produced? It is emitted from the underside of the abdomen, especially from the sixth and seventh segments, and can be traced to a yellowish substance which is freely supplied with branching air tubes and shines through the transparent skin. Though the light looks so steady, it is really intermittent, consisting of flashes in close succession, eighty or a hundred in the minute. It has been much debated whether the glowworm can extinguish her light at pleasure or not. When alarmed, she certainly causes the light to disappear, and late in the evening she ceases to shine but on close examination it will be found that the light is not really quenched. The female merely turns the luminous surface towards the ground. Even when the abdomen is cut off, the light continues to be emitted for a long time, under favorable conditions for some days. The luminous matter becomes brighter in oxygen, but is quenched by carbonic acid, hydrogen, sulfurous acid, or a vacuum. The light is not accompanied by dark heat rays. Its photographic action is weak, all the rays belong to the part of the spectrum which is visible to the human eye. Besides the light rays, Ronkin rays are given off. Not only the abdomen of the adult female, but the larva, the pupa, the adult male, and the eggs are luminous at times. Microscopic examination shows that the luminous organ of a glowworm consists of innumerable cells arranged in a dorsal layer, which is rendered opaque by organic concretions, and a ventral layer which is clear. The cells are supplied both with air tubes, branching repeatedly, so as to reach every cell, and with nerves. 
there is reason to believe that the light is not directly emitted by the cells of the luminous organ, but by a substance which these cells secrete. Vontgart found that this substance, after being dried and kept in a vacuum for twelve months, gave out light again when moistened and placed in air. Fresh, luminous organs can be made to glow more intensely by irritation, for example, with the point of a needle, but the effect does not instantly follow the stimulus. A glowworm, when crushed, emits no light. Water, as well as oxygen or air, is necessary to the emission of light. It is probable that the light is due to an oxidation process, like that which makes phosphorus glow in the dark, but the luminous matter of the glowworm contains no phosphorus. We have only a single species of glowworm in Britain. Two others occur in Central Europe. The firefly of Southern Europe is a beetle belonging to the same family as the glowworms, and several other luminous insects are known in different parts of the world. Some centipedes, one of which is common in Britain, have the same property. Many inhabitants of the sea are luminous. Among the rest, deep-sea fishes, mollusks, crustaceans, worms, echinoderms, and zoophytes. A protozoan not more than one-fiftieth of an inch long causes what we describe as the phosphorescence of the sea. There are also light-emitting plants. The threads of certain fungi, which subsist upon decaying wood, shine in the dark. So do the bacteria, which set up putrefaction in the bodies of dead marine fishes. Observant persons are familiar with both kinds of luminosity. In fish-cleaning yards, especially such as are regularly overflowed by the tide, luminosity can often be remarked. I have seen hastily cleaned fishes' skulls shine every night for weeks. If they are washed with water, the water may become luminous. When filtered, the water loses its power of emitting light, but the filter begins to shine. Flowers have occasionally been seen to emit flashes of light, but these are due to causes of another kind. Question 3. What benefit do the glowworms derive from their power of emitting light? Gilbert White's explanation that the light of the glowworm is attractive to the male insect seems to be a little too ancient for some biologists, who are restless until they can replace it by a theory more worthy, as they think, of the 20th century. But the old view makes intelligible several facts that must never be lost sight of. Bongart has recently placed on record the important observation that a female glowworm, when exposed in a bottle, brings around a number of faintly illuminated males, and at their approach her light becomes more vivid. In our common English glowworm, the female, which is preeminently luminous, has no wings, and the winged male has particularly large eyes. The same cannot be said of all glowworms, and hence a doubt has arisen. Some naturalists seem to think that an explanation which suits only one species cannot be the true one. It seems to me that we complicate the problem unnecessarily by seeking for an explanation which will apply to all luminous insects, or even to all the Lamparidae, some fifty in number. Why not consider the species one by one, and so eliminate the perplexing differences in habits and environment which always exist among a number of different species. We have no ground for supposing that the explanation which suits one case will suit all. The sounds and colors of animals admit of no universal explanation, and the same is likely to be true of luminosity. I would therefore prefer to consider the English glowworm by itself, not of course neglecting any pertinent suggestions which might be drawn from other species, but not waiting till they come to hand. One speculation which has found eminent adherence is this. The glowworm has been thought to have a disagreeable taste, which repels night-feeding animals, such as bats, and it is quite true that when a number of glowworms are imprisoned in a small vessel, an unpleasant odor can be detected. 
The light, it is said, may be a warning light, giving notice that the insect is one which is notoriously ill-tasted. Belt put forth this view, and Darwin supported it. Bongart has pointed out that the taste and smell of the glowworm do not repel spiders which prey upon it freely, but this argument is, of course, not decisive. Belt's explanation seems to me to fail in dealing with such material facts as the great eyes of the winged male and the ostentatious self-exposure of the wingless female, and the recently acquired knowledge that when the males gather about the female, she emits a brighter light. Besides, if the female were luminous for self-protection only, it would suffice if she were luminous in a low degree, so as to prevent mistakes on the part of insectivorous animals within striking distance. Self-protection does not account for a light which is visible from afar, a light so intense as to arouse the curiosity of dangerous enemies. Belt's explanation is not, properly speaking, an alternative to the attraction theory. Both may be held together, if both should be adequately supported by facts. The light of the glowworm may guide the male to the resting place of his mate, and also prevent insectivorous birds, drawn to the spot by the unusual glow, from devouring her by mistake. Others have imagined that the light attracts the prey of the glowworm, just as the luminous fish, or an electric lamp lowered into the sea, attracts crowds of small crustacea and other animals. There is, I believe, no proof that the mollusks, on which the glowworm is believed to feed, are sufficiently curious to draw near to a light, nor that the glowworm can fascinate more susceptible victims. Until further enlightened, therefore, I shall continue to hold with Gilbert White that the light of our English glowworm is the lamp of hero. Glowworms are most abundant in the neighborhood of woods. Bongart tells us that after mating, the females creep into the woods at the rate of about a yard a day. At this time they are hard to find, for the luminous surface is turned towards the ground. It is only when expecting the visit of the male that the glowworm fully exposes her light organs, either by climbing on a stalk or by turning up the end of the abdomen. End of chapter 11